embarrassed about this. So, oh boy. so I like a week ago recorded this really, really awesome episode that I was so stoked for you guys to hear. And when I got home to load it up, I could not find it anywhere. Unbelievable. It, it was unbelievable. And it was so unfortunate because it was such a good interview. Both me and my guests were like, yes, nailed it. Nailed it. Money. But but I kind of, I'm, I'm thinking God thought it was just too good for the masses. It was too good for the masses. I mean, there's, that's what I was thinking. There's yeah. only two people on this planet that have ever heard this podcast, and that is myself and my wonderful guest who is redoing this podcast with me, Mr. Justin Taplin Ross. What's up, man? What's up? I think my dogs heard it too, so you had like four. Okay, like four okay. Heard it. Yes, furry friends do count, people. That is that is 100% fact. I, I'm an avid animal lover and can't can't forget the the little ones with the four paws uh-uh, my kids and they are his kids and they're absolutely adorable the one is ginormous the one's probably taller than me on his hind legs yes. i would guess and he just turned one i'll ask him now right? okay yeah name snoop 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 the dog snoop the dog not to be con- confused at all with tyler huntley who also goes by snoop and of course the rapper Snoop Dogg. They all stole my dog's name, but you know, that's another story. <laughs> we'll get into that. Well, we, yeah. Turn we, lawsuit out, but you know, we, I don't want to put that we, out there. We won't get into all that, but we will jump into Justin's life, which is fascinating. And I mean, let's, let's talk about kind of where you came from and, and how you ended up in Utah, your journey to Utah. So I came from my mom. So that was a journey in itself. <laughs> uh, Freudian stuff here. Do do you remember that journey at all? Oh yeah, like I I I have a great memory. First of all, it was dark. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> <laughs> moving along. This is getting Let's a fast little forward X-rated. a little bit, you know. <laughs> so, post being out of my mom, I remember growing up in Texas, of course. <laughs> so that's where I was born and raised, Temple, Texas. Um population my family if you ever go there just ask for a taplin or a ross because i have a double last name it's not because i'm mormon and have two husbands but you know so it's taplin's from my mom's side ross is from my dad's um two big families out there in order for my dad to date my mom he had to on some romeo and juliet type stuff wrestle and beat my both my uncles and my grandpa and then he succeeded of course and i'm here i'm the only one on this planet with Taplin Ross. All my other siblings are either Taplin or Ross. It's, it's, it's I'm unique. <laughs> I need to start my own clan now of Taplin Rosses in the world. There you go. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so growing up in Texas, this, this was a smaller town, wasn't it? Like not, not a lot of people get out. Uh, how, how did you end up getting out and, and talk about some of the circumstances of, of your childhood and growing up? Yeah. So everyone from, Temple, Texas, Clean, Texas, Belt, Texas, they, the culture is to grow up there and stay there, help your family. It's a very family-oriented place, which is why, jumping ahead, I, I loved Utah, because I left Texas and moved to California with my dad. And the circumstances behind that was my dad was out of the picture, and he had moved to California, and then my brother died when I was, of course, you guys, I think I told you that in the last interview. 
but my brother ended up dying and I ended up going into foster care. And that was, that was a horrible experience. I didn't like one bit of that, but then my dad ended up coming back and taking me out of foster care and took me to California, which is where I kind of stood out being a big Texan among all them little California boys. So they have <laughs> this big six foot three dude that can run like a running back, which I played running back all my life. Then they were like, no, you're too big to play running back here. So I ended up moving to safety. So, you know, then I got recruited by Coach Dave Schramm and Coach Whittingham, which was kind of, I didn't even know where Utah was on the map, <laughs> which I explained last interview. They recruited me and said, we'd like to bring you out to Utah. And I was like, I'm going to be honest, Coach. I don't know how I feel about playing football on the East Coast. <laughs> and they're like, uh, that's cool because we're not on the East Coast. It's about an hour and a half flight. And I'm just like, excuse me, like, wait, where's Utah? But now it's been a great experience. You, I mean, you were faced early on with potentially growing up in foster care. Your dad came and got you. Your relationship, though, with your dad at that point was not the best. And there was, I know you've said before, there was a lot of resentment uh, as far as him not being around and then all of a sudden wanting to be there. Uh, Talk about that relationship once he picked you up and and how it's evolved and changed now that you're an adult? So it was very, I'll say, (laughs) difficult because, I mean, I later found out he didn't know who his father was, so he didn't necessarily know how to be a dad. And then when it came time to him being a dad to me and my younger brother who ended up passing away, kind of dropped the ball. So the earliest memories I remember of him and my mom was a lot of arguments. Then I remember us moving to California as kids and then arguing, them arguing all the time and then him not coming home one day during a thunderstorm and my mom just, our neighbor actually ended up helping us pack up and leave. And that was like the memories I remember of that whole situation. And then, yeah, I remember when my brother was still alive, like my mom would ask, ask us what we would do if he ever came back and we would just talking, we just like, well, act like he's not even my dad, and blah blah blah. But you know, young kids who are hurt that your dad left and was in another, in another state, married another woman with other kids, so we were hurt. So that's how we were coping with it. Now you found some interesting ways to cope with that. One, of course, was getting into football. My personal favorite, and just because I relate to it so much, is dance. Uh, you you are a fantastic dancer. If no one's ever seen him dance before. It's kind of like a big deal, guys. It, it is a very <laughs> big deal. It is a very, very big deal. Uh, he, he is an amazing dancer, and you can actually check it out. Back in the day, Utah football, after spring camps, would hold like a dance-off, essentially to keep yourself immune from... Have, have having to run laps after practice. It was a setup, by the way. <laughs> and and so they would get in this big circle and they would have a dance off. Offense versus defense. Okay, offense versus defense. <laughs> yes, and it was the most glorious thing I think they have ever shot video of. Utah football. If you listen to my podcast, which I really doubt that you do, you guys don't care about what I have to say. I'm a small fish. Nice, nice. But uh. 
bring it back, bring it back. Cause I am sure there are still good dancers coming into the program, but my favorite thing that I have ever seen Justin do is the singles, single ladies dance. That was really popular when both of us were still in school. It was, I think actually our, our senior year. Uh-huh. And Queen uh, B, Beyonce, you gotta, gotta uh, give people Queen what Bay. they want. <laughs> Queen Bay. Uh, so, Justin, how, how did you even get into dance, and when did you discover that that was a talent of yours outside of football? So, I discovered it when I was a kid in my grandpa's backyard, jumping on the trampoline. I just remember my brother and cousins, they were all on my grandpa's porch in the backyard, trying to do the moonwalk by Michael Jackson, of course. But I had threw sand on the porch, and they were all just trying over and over and I'm just jumping on the trampoline, just looking at them, just like, what are they trying to do? And I finally jump off the trampoline, I walk over there, and I see the video, and then I just look, and then I just start doing it. Everyone's like, are you kidding? And it's like, uh, okay. And then I just went back to jumping on the trampoline. And then once my dad picked me up and I went to California, all my friends in California was trying to do the crip walk or something that Nate Dog did. And again, I get up and I just, like, they're, after their failed attempts over and over, I just look at the video and I was like, oh, and I started doing it. And I think from there, it's when it, like, really clicked that I was a visual learner. Like, people can tell me to do something all day. It just didn't make sense to me. But once I saw it, like, I was able to pick it up. So anytime anybody did something I thought was cool, I would just imitate it. And everyone would just say, dude, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so being a quiet kid who didn't really talk at all, like, dance was like my way of like being able to talk to people and them get it finally like get a reaction out of people with me just moving and not saying a word and I was like well I can do that like it's hard yeah. for me to talk to people but if I can just dance and they get a reaction I think it's cool which is funny because every time and that it kind of evolved because when I would get sad I just remember being in my my dad's basement on Winter Street Street in California in San Diego I just remember being in the garage and it was like, as I think back, I was like, I was dancing and crying at the same time, but it was like, <laughs> it's like something out of a movie, but um, that's... Like I, I can name the movie. Yeah, dance was kind of a release for me. It was just like, I'm dancing and I'm crying and I'm just like getting emotions out. But yeah, I love to dance. How how Kevin Bacon of you and Footloose. <laughs> that, that's, that's what that story reminds me of, is Kevin Bacon and Footloose yeah. and In the Mill, which uh, has a Utah connection. Hey, hey. I actually saw a dope um, take by some kids out in, they were down in Orm. I know it's all like Orm does cool things here and there, but I was out that way and some kids were doing it, a school play, and I actually saw it. It was actually pretty good. It, it it's an interesting storyline and the, and the movie was really good and again just kind of a fun kitschy little thing that it happened to be filmed in Utah. Utah actually is the backdrop for a lot of a lot, a lot of, of movies, movies yeah. uh, which I don't think a lot of people necessarily know. Mr. Justin Taplin Ross, where <laughs> where is Utah? Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. But, when you come from Texas, Texas it's Texas, like its own Texas country. Is, you know yeah. What I'm uh yes texas is huge and i was in a very small part of it for a very small while but i i like what you said about dance was a way for you to express yourself because i too grew up very shy and quiet and 
not able to express a lot of things. And I found that dance, specifically hip hop, was a great release for me because I don't often, especially sadness and anger, like those are two things that I have a really hard time expressing, but it was so easy to kind of just let loose on a hip hop dance routine and just let it all go, let it all go. And I'd always feel better and put all my heart and my soul and my energy into that. I am, by the way, nowhere near the dancer that Justin is, just to clarify that. I'm okay. I I, I did okay for a white girl that grew up in Salt Lake City. But, uh, <laughs> yes. So, to, to switch it up and, and keep moving it along, you get the offer from Whittingham and Coach Dave Schramm. What ultimately sold you on Utah, a place that you had never heard of, that you thought was on the East Coast? What, I mean, you mentioned the family thing, being family-oriented here, but was there anything else, like, when you went on your visit that just made you go, yep, this, this is actually the place? Well, I was told I can play both basketball and football here. Oh, that I, I did not know. I was a uh, Gatorade player, athlete of the year for basketball, football, and track. Got invited to all these all-star games in basketball. Um, ultimately, I didn't end up playing because I had already committed here to Utah for the all-star games. I did one all-star game, bas- um, basketball game and dunk contest. But um, it was part of the package. They said, yeah, we have player a player here that's playing both, but he was a walk-on, so... Mm. The key thing was walk on and he can do whatever he wanted. But being on a scholarship, yeah, no. So I got here, actually made the team with Jim Boylan. I went to the tryout. The whole basketball team was there because they knew I was trying out. And they were just rooting for me. I was dunking on kids. I was scoring. Um, even Robert Johnson's like, dude, if you're on the basketball team, I'm going to be there at every game. And then I told my coach, I said, like, yeah, if I made the team, I could play right. He's like, no. I'll, wait, <laughs> wait, no. what? <laughs> we need like, you here. <laughs> I was like, what you said? And then, yeah, my mom called and had some words with Shram. And said, Why is your mom so mad? And I was like, come on, God. But, you know, but also, even if they would have said no, like, Utah was my first recruiting trip, and I was sold, like, as soon as I stepped off the steps in the airplane. And it was an airplane that you didn't get dropped off in the terminal. You got dropped off, like, on the terminal. Mm-hmm. You got to walk off. But as soon as I stepped off, it was snowing. And being a Texas kid, it was like, okay, first time in, like, snow. Even though I went to California, Big Bear, but that's not snow. That's, like, ice. You're, right. like, skiing on ice. So when I got here, like, me, my dad, my stepmom, like, everybody's walking on the sidewalk. We're, like, walking in the snow, like, laughing and throwing it at each other. Then I got to meet Sly. I got to meet, um, wow, I played with the Dolphins, cornerback Sean Smith. Holy hell, those dudes were <laughs> super funny. So we went to a party. Like, I go to open the door, and Sly is, I can't open the door. I'm just like, what's going on? Like, the door is, like, shut. But I peek my head around. There's a kid that's laying basically on his head, feet up in the air. And I'm just like, <laughs> and he's blocking the door. I was like, who is this kid? Like, there's all oh, that Sly linebacker. And, like, to meet all these dudes, and, like, I was, like, it was like I was home, like, day one. As soon as I, like, walked into this party, met all these players. Of course, they took us snowmobiling. They took us to a couple of restaurants around Utah. And I was just like, yeah. And I got recruited here with my boy Jamel King. We were from the same high school. Okay. So, like, we were sitting in a recruiting office. And I was like, yeah, this is where I want to be. 
And then he looked at me and went, cool. He's like, well, shoot, I'm coming too. And I was just like, well, what do we sign? <laughs> I can I can tell you a story about Jamel. <laughs> so uh, my freshman year, had a class with him, and it was a criminology class in, like, Matt Asiata and Koamisi and Robert Johnson. Okay. Whole gang. Gang gang was whole, all there. <laughs> all those guys were in that class. Jamel was in that class as well. And for this particular class, we had to do, like, go up and present to the class a chapter in the book. And, I mean, it was really super easy. Uh, not not a lot to it. The, the teacher was totally cool if you brought your book up, you know, to kind of help guide you with with what the reading was and just refresh you, remind you. Well, Jamel forgot the day that he was supposed to do it. So he raises his hand. That's my friend. And uh, he goes, is Jamel supposed to present today? <laughs> the teacher goes, yes. What if he forgot? Well, he can get an extension. That's okay. Mr. King, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. King. But it gets better. Oh, wait, but there's more. <laughs> so, next class, he comes, and uh, Robert Robert walks by him. I walk by him. He stops Rojo and goes, dude, look, look what I did last night. This is so, this is so great. He had like a regular notebook that like you write notes in and he had cut out the pages in the book and glued them into the notebook. (laughs) He had like spent all night doing this because he didn't realize that he could just take the book up there. He's thinking that like he's going to be tricking the teacher (laughs) that he sat and wrote all these notes for his presentation. And Rojo just gets this look on his face like, dude, you can take your book up there. And he's like, are you serious? And Rojo's like, yeah, like I did. You could even ask her. So he asked me, and I'm like, yeah, he really did. Even I took my book up there. So he he did all this work for not, but it was really great, and it was really funny. And one of my favorite, favorite stories from going to school, going to school with you, you fools. Mr. King, I hope this makes the cut, because I'm going to let you hear this. Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> making the cut. I control the shots here. This is my this is my damn podcast. Yes. <laughs> but so I you go on this recruiting trip, you instantly make friends on the team and decide that this is where you want to go. Do do you think that's unusual in re- recruiting? How many other recruiting trips did you take and did you have that same kind of connection with other other people? I took one. Okay. I took one it Utah. Just, it I could have. I had. Utah. I had Stanford. I could have went to. I had UNLV. I had Ohio, but well, being a kid from Texas, like the culture of a lot of people there, just in the part where I'm from, like the culture is not even to finish high school. Not that people don't want to. It's just that there's a lot that goes on where I'm from, like. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say the teachers don't necessarily care, but they don't, they're not as forgiving. Like, understanding, like, kids out here in Utah, when they mess up, at the end of the day, people are like, they're kids. Like, they're supposed to stumble. Mm-hmm. When people mess up where I'm from, they go to alternative school, which they, they get half credits. They get held back so many years. And it's like, okay, now you have an 18-year-old kid who either has a ch- choice to, hey, 
your family struggling, get out and help your family or continue to try to get your high school education. And they don't see the value because there's not a lot of people that make it out. So they're just like, hey, like no one's using a degree to get a job. There's only certain certain jobs you can get here. I can go do that right now instead of finishing high school. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a shock to get out here and see kids still being kids. But like, and I told people this before, it's like I've never had a real chance to be a kid because at five, six years old, I had to grow up. I had to watch my brothers and sisters and my older brother, and we had to sit through and endure a lot of stuff that, of course, kids or sometimes even adults, especially out here, will never have to sit through or mm-hmm. go through being drugs, cops raiding the house, like just a lot of stuff. So to see out here, like kids, like, of course, I'm going to college. They have all their colleges picked out, and from like junior high, they know where they want to go. I want to go to Utah because. It's a college city. Everyone loves the U. Like, even when I got here, like, when I first like, got here, I was standing in line at Smith's. And this little kid turns around, looks at me, turns around. And I was like, all right, that was weird. <laughs> Never seen a dark guy before. That's cool. <laughs> but then he, like, whips back around with his book and said, hey, can you sign here next to your picture? And I'm just like, what? I'm not even practiced yet. I'm not even mm-hmm. fully checked into my dorms yet. Like, it was, like, crazy. So and I, quick, I quickly learned, like, dude, this is... Like, they're all about the U here. And then I think the family was like, are you guys going to be BYU this year? Just like, if I didn't know who Utah was, of course I'm not going to know what BYU is. So. Right. Well, what's a BYU? <laughs> and uh, why should I care? I was like, yeah, <laughs> of course. Because all I knew of Utah, once I started being recruited, I actually just sat down and I was just watching TV and I saw highlights of the Fiesta Bowl popped up. And they're talking about Utah being undefeated. They're talking about Utah's like, filters dbs into the league and i'm just like perfect i'm a db i'm just like this sounds like my type of school right but anyway yeah so the culture of where i'm from of people finishing high school and going to college was never on my mind so when i when utah started recruiting me and all these schools started recruiting me it was about who do i feel comfortable Everyone's like, well, why would you go to Stanford? You get a degree in Stanford, oh my gosh, you can write your own ticket. And I was like, dude, like, I had Ohio, I had Stanford come talk to me, and they were just, Ohio Scout, for example, they came in there and they like, oh, your legs are too small, your arms are too small, your shoulders are small, you'd have to get developed. And I'm just like, you guys are doing horrible right now. Like, what, what have you guys done in, like, the last five years? Yeah. So, it was kind of a... Well, if like you rubbed me with the wrong way, it was like, dude, I don't feel comfortable going to you. At this point, I had left my family. I'm a quiet kid, so it's all about me being comfortable. And I, I felt all good vibes coming from Utah. It's, it's always been that way, which is why I'm still here. Yeah, I, I mean, Justin is one of the many, 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 many cases of guys sticking around after they've graduated that were not originally from. Utah. And I, I think that's so interesting and fascinating. It was a topic of conversation that came up quite a bit while I was working with the Stallions. Because a lot of the guys would, that weren't from Utah didn't really know anything about Utah football or BYU football, you know, would always ask me, like, do athletes even stay here after they're done playing or do they book it out of here? I'm like, you would be shocked. You'd be shocked. And it's, 
it's one of those things, typically what I hear from guys is, well, as soon as I graduate, pedal to the metal and I'm out of here. It's boring. I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want Lies. to live here. Lies. And then, <laughs> you know, two or three late years later, I'll get a text or a DM or, or something from someone or just happen to see something online that so-and-so is moving back. So-and-so wants to be back in Utah. And it always makes me laugh because I'm like, oh, I'm back already, I see. Oh, yeah, Jeremy Brooks Brooks just came back. Oh, he did? um, Jamel actually left to California. Then he came back. And then, of course, met his wife now and had a kid. And now he just went back to California. He, was, he had bought a house out here. Then he went to California, and they're, like, renting a place, like, one bedroom with his kid. And it it's more And it's more expensive yeah. than his apartment, than his, like, house he had out here. But his dad got him a job, so I think this time he's staying. But if that was the case, I, I think they get him back. They yeah. always, they say that, he says he does miss it, so. Well, and, and on top of that, what, we've got Rojo, we've got Sly, Going back a little Justin bit, Jones. Justin Jones, yeah, going <laughs> the list goes on. going a little further back. David Kozlowski was another one that I'm getting the hell out of here, and now he's doing uh, great things in the community with uh, mental health and, and the youth here. Uh, it just so so many examples of of guys that have left and come back, and now we're making a positive, and that's just it too. It's not simply that you guys choose to come back. It's that you choose to come back and give back to the community. And I know, I know you're big on that as well. What, what have you kind of been up to and, and what are you doing these days? Um, I'm actually trying to open my own gym. I met with the city of Salt Lake, drafted up a business plan, went met, um, it went great before they even cracked up my business plan. They were, in love with my idea. So I've been into fitness since I left college. I have a lot of friends that got into fitness. Um, Eddie White opened his own gym. Ron opened his gym out here. So if you're in the late area, Lionel Built Fitness is where you want to send your kids. Um, they The culture we, we bring to fitness is energetic. Uh, we've all played at that next level, which these kids are trying to get to. So it's like our way of giving back. It's like we went through that experience. We want to give that to as many kids or adults as we can. So being around that culture, I actually went and trained with Ron at his gym. I was training kickboxing while he was training athletes, of course. And then Sly and his girl opened up a gym at the Camp Draper, and I'm actually teaching there as well. So it was like my thing is I want to give back. So I went from football, basketball, track, I've gotten to play a little bit with the Dallas Cowboys. I've Then I started MMA fighting, which is a whole new love for me. Like, that's the most in shape I've ever been, and it's exciting, and it's a great way to get in shape. We have fighters that spend over 300-some pounds, and now they're fighting at 165, 185, that's and they're crazy. champions. They have multiple belts. And it's they all started with just trying to get in shape. Mm-hmm. So it's a fun way to get in shape because you're learning how to – throw punches, it's fun, you don't even notice that you're losing pounds and pounds of weight a day. And I say a day because I've went into a practice and lost 10 pounds from kickboxing to wrestling, jiu-jitsu, I've walked out of there drenched in sweat. 
from hitting the mat and I slide freaking five feet because <laughs> my back is too sweaty. That's so, crazy. That is I, absolutely <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So my Gross. thing is I want to <laughs> open my own gym where I can bring these different facets and give back to the city who's given me so much confidence, so much love, so much support. And Matt Asiata was actually on board as well, so he was included in my business plan when I met with the city because he wants to open his own gym as well. So I was like, of course, why don't I bring all my Utah boys together, yeah. even Utah girls. I was going to bring some Utah basketball players, Utah soccer, Utah baseball, and open this really good facility where not only we can bring in kids and families who know who we are, but to do it at a, a low price. Because I don't want to take from people. I want to make more money with the amount of people I get in here and the amount of people I help instead of just charging one person like a hundred some dollars an hour. I do my own personal training now and I charge very little and people are like, why? Like, why don't you charge more? Like, this is crazy. Like, of course I'll do it. But like, they often pay me more even though yeah. I'm like, hey, no, I want this much because I want to see you change. I want you to be able to keep coming, not pay for one class and then you're done for the week. And I mean, you kind of let me get a little sound what it is you do and and I think especially well there's two things that are kind of cool about it the first one being and not that this is an issue for me at all I don't have kids but I've seen videos you you train moms and you let their kids come and come and hang out and or kind of mess around and and get a little taste for working out as well which I think is super cool and super important too because we're becoming so stagnant as a society we don't get out and do stuff a lot we're at a desk all day working and then we go home and we play on our phone and watch tv all night uh why why are you so open to having kids come through and and getting them involved as well because number one um of course i was raised by a single mom and of course that my mom was my everything. She's my inspiration. She was so strong. But of course, as a mom, you can't do a lot. And I always ask a lot of friends, it's like, come work out. Even when I was at Lionel Bill Fitness, even when I'm at the Camp Draper. They said, well, I missed such and such days because I have my kids. Even to this day, I have people that I train. Like, I have my kids. I'm making a gym in my garage or even at Lionel um even at um, the Camp Draper, they like, well, just bring your kids here. Like, like <laughs> they're welcome. or we'll keep them safe. They've got places for them to sit. Even get involved. One of the clients I teach, one of the little boys, he said he wanted to train, and the mom was like, well, how much would you charge? I was like, well, I won't charge him a thing. Because if anybody knows anything about me from a, from a child, they know I love kids. Like when little kids got to say in high school or elementary, rather, what do you want to be when you grow up? Everybody picked firefighter, astronaut, et cetera. I picked the father. That was all my, my thing. My mom, my stepmom said it was my calling from God to mm-hmm. work with kids. Because I taught at my, I taught, I started teaching third, third grade in my church until they found out that I was really good with newborns. And then they moved me to the nursery. They called me the baby whisperer because they'd get me crying babies and they would stop. So <laughs> <laughs> even when I was out here at a bees game, I took some stranger's kid and the kid stopped crying. And my friend said, oh, the baby whisperer strikes again. <laughs> so another baby starts crying. They're like, give them to the baby whisperer. So they gave me, passed me another baby and that baby stopped crying. 
and everyone's just like cheering at this point. I go to give one of the babies back to the parent, and it starts crying again. They're like, "Are you kidding?" So they passed me the baby back. (laughs) So I always steal babies. That's my thing. Sorry, people. I'm gonna put it out there. Probably have a warrant. I steal babies. (laughs) Mister, steal your baby. That's okay. I'm I'm Miss Steal Your Dog. So it's all good. We all we all have our callings in life. I remember getting on a flight to Dallas (laughs) from from Utah. Family had this little girl. She was crying, but the family, the mom was arguing with the dad. And the baby's just hanging off the mom's hip as they're arguing. And I just said, can I see your baby, please? And he's like, oh, yeah. And just, I didn't give him back the whole flight. And the yeah. guy played with that little girl the whole flight. And then even when the food came around, I was had a straw, like, feeding her apple juice and everything. And the family's like, you can give her back if you want. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll keep this baby. <laughs> I'll keep her. Not only will I steal it, but I won't give it back. I'm sorry. <laughs> so hey, someone, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to care for all the children in the world. Oh, sorry, but to get back to your question, like <laughs> <laughs> went all off track. But um, yeah. So my mom was a big inspiration, and like having moms out here, single moms that want to work out, want to get in shape, with a real drive to, but they can't. So I, I love bringing them in here. I love getting their kids involved. And there's one of the kids I, I teach first asked me, like, do you work with a lot of fat kids? Which blew my mind. So it already just tells me the type of environment he's growing up and he needs that confidence. So from the first day, like I threw, I taught him his first combination, just seeing the, the smile and how yeah. he lit up and how he was excited. When the class was over, I had taught him a combination of one, two, then throw your knee, then follow up with a kick. And he didn't quite get it, but he got it down. But he didn't quite get it. He was just so excited for the next class because he wanted to get it down. So seeing that confidence that it gives moms, dads, everyone who tries kickboxing, it's like, I've never thrown a punch. Then after they throw that correct punch, just seeing that, how they light up, it's just like, that's everything. The other cool thing about what you're doing is – you're teaching, so you're teaching essentially what you have learned through your MMA fighting. And I would say probably your biggest clientele, at least that I've noticed, is women. And I think it's especially been on my mind because of the Lauren McCluskey anniversary that was just a couple of days ago. And obviously this, is, this isn't this is going to air for like, I think, two, probably two weeks. But so we're we're kind of going back and forth in time at the same time, but I think it is so important to be able to defend yourself. And that's essentially like, yes, it's a good workout and, and all that good stuff. But like, I mean, to be able to throw a punch because the, the, the truth of the matter, and I have like guy friends that talk to me about this all the time. You walk down that dark alley by yourself and it's like, well, yeah, like I, I don't always have someone that can follow me around, you know, like I, what, what am I supposed to do? Stay at home unless someone can chaperone me wherever I, I want to go. I'm for hire. I can be a superhero. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but, but I mean, to teach, to empower women and to teach them to throw a punch or, or roundhouse kick to the face or whatever, like True. that's powerful. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? kind of mad and and especially again I guess since you're so close with like your mom actually like as I teach kickboxing fitness like 
that was when I brought it up to some of the women in my class. I was like, would you like to learn the jujitsu? Would you like to learn how to get a guy from on top of you? And the response was like, of course. Like, yeah. Not only when I started doing that, that was the most excited they ever was about my classes. So I've taught them how to, if a guy grabs them or tries to choke them, how to get out. Or if a guy's on top of them, how to use their legs, which is going to be the most powerful thing on anyone. So I've taught them how to get off or how to get into a position or how to even stay in a position where you can stay in control and keep a guy off of you or get to a safe place to pull out mace to call the cops or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And that's one of... I actually have a documentary coming out pretty soon about my life, which one of the biggest empowerment moments of my life was when my mom first started fighting back because she was abused. And me and my older brother, Jeffrey, used to sit there and watch it. This guy was just hitting her, then, which multiple guys had done, and we had witnessed it. But then one day, my mom just decided to fight back, and she started winning, which was one of the biggest like, inspirational moments of my life. So, of course, power of women is top of my list. Like, if that's what you really want to learn is your passion and I can help you learn that, that's that's key for me. I think one of the most impressive things about you is that you have achieved at the highest pinnacle of football. You made, made training camp for your childhood team. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys and not a lot of guys can say that it's I I don't think people fully understand or appreciate even how hard it is to go from being in high school to college and then again jumping from college to the NFL like it really whittles down each step you take and there is such a small, small percentage of guys that can even say that they made a training camp in that case. However, I what has really struck me <laughs> in talking to you is that you've openly admitted about how hard it was figuring out what you wanted to do once all that was done. After having gone 24-7, thinking about football, 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 and now all of a sudden football's not really an option for you and you have to think of some other way to do it. And you've taken a desk job, you've hated the desk job, you're now MMA fighting and, and doing training. Talk about your journey to find something new that you were passionate about after football was no longer an option and what kind of learned about yourself in, in that whole process so to kind of tackle the one you asked last um, what I've learned about myself and probably any athlete has is that you can do anything that you put your mind to like making a choice to play even D1 football and attend college like you have to learn time management you have to learn how to if you really want to excel like these athletes have, like you have to, you have to adapt quick. You have to learn. You have to. You're. You learn a couple of things. You learn number one how to work hard, and if you work hard and put all your focus in your that you can into football, school, transitioning that into the the workforce, like you'll be able to excel at anything you do. 
Like we learned how to to not to use the word I can. So when I got into sales, something I was never not good at talking. Like I said, I grew up a quiet kid. Definitely not good at selling people because I just was too nice to people. So the idea of actually selling someone or tricking them was just not my thing. Which is kind of funny because I actually changed the way a lot of people sold at my job because I never sold one person. I would ask people if this worked for them, which in sales, you just have to assume the sales. But I would, everyone I talked to, I would explain to them what we were doing and ask them if it's something they could do or something they can afford. And every time I did it, my boss would shake my head, but then I became one of the top five salesmen in my company. So that's kind of a unique thing. And yeah, so it was really fun. But then on top of you had to figure out, you know, what what your next passion was. And that's that's not always easy. And I I know I've been faced with having to think about, well, if working in sports, if being a sports reporter or, or doing some some more general thing in sports, whether it's PR or communications or community involvement doesn't work out. Like what else would I want to do? And I'm still not sure about that. You did figure it out. What, what kind of inspired you, got you into that next step, that next phase in your life? So I kind of moved over because working at a desk job, I was after a while, after I did become one of the top salesmen. I realized it was like nowhere left to go, per se. Like, I was doing it. But one thing that helped me is I just start doing anything and everything. I got into acting. I got into modeling. I got into uh, bouncing down at the bars. I got into trying to start my own clothing company with my friend. I just started doing a lot of things because... I did have more free time. I wasn't, my mind wasn't preoccupied. So I got a little depressed working a desk job. I got depressed being away from my family. So one thing that helped me was to keep moving. So I had to just keep doing, keep myself busy. Then my friend, Steve Chan, who actually worked with me at Progression, he was fighting and invited me down to his fight. So after I went to the Steel Fish promotion fight, I watched these guys that got up there in my weight class, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, yeah, I can, I can fight those guys. I can beat those guys. Because I grew up boxing. It was my dad. My dad went pro boxing for a little bit. Then he got out because he started late. But I went to those fights, and I got that same excitement again when I watched my friend Steve Chan fight. And that really motivated me to get into a gym to go try this out. And from day one, I walked into that gym. I loved it. And it's like I'm being active again. I'm competing. This is something I want to stick to and try. It probably helps feeling like you have people watching over you. Uh, anyone that hasn't ever seen Justin in person, he usually has two angels around his neck. And one's for his younger brother and the other one's for his grandpa. Uh, what's it like feeling like no matter what you choose to do in your life, you, you have that like spiritual connection that, that someone is always looking out and making sure that you're getting steered in the right direction. So it's just kind of that extra nudge for me because I've learned that with them on my shoulder, there's not too many things I can't do. So being a shy kid, 
I forget which New Year's it was, but my New Year's resolution was to become a yes man. And it was a movie that Jim Carrey did where he became a yes man, so he started saying yes to everything. I would honestly say how cliche or funny it is, like that's opened so many doors to networking with people that I would have never sat down and had a conversation with, to open up new job careers, which I would have never considered, even like where I'm at now, trying to open up a gym. Mm-hmm. I just had a conversation with someone at a bar, and he turned out to work for the city, who found out my passion and who I was, told me to write a business plan, and with, I ended up meeting a guy that I taught at a gym, who was a lawyer who started over 35 businesses, he was like, yeah, I'll be your mentor, I don't want any money, I just want to help you, and it's like, dude, like, even if it's something you've never, like, had interest in, like, I never thought I'd be working bouncer at a door at a bar like mm-hmm. especially coming right. from college having a degree but it's one of the, honestly one of the funnest thing I've ever done in my life and the friends I make behind it is just just crazy what advice would you give a kid that's growing up right now in the circumstances that you've kind of come from potentially looking at foster care moving in with a parent that you don't necessarily get along with seeing your mom being abused witnessing a sibling dying, you know, that that sort of circumstance, seeing people around you that are just okay with the status quo, but knowing maybe deep down inside that they're capable of so much more than that, but just trying to figure figure their way out about out out of that situation. What would you say to them and what advice would you give them? I would say honestly, how sad it is, especially when my brother died. I wouldn't be where I was today without that happening. And I would say you going through all the stuff you have gives you the advantage. And I was talking to another friend of mine from L.A. who grew up in a similar situation. It was like, I'm glad I grew up the way I did because mm-hmm. it makes me not ignorant to a lot of situations that I see people going through. It makes me stronger. Because a lot of people, especially in Utah, they're... They get addicted to over-the-counter drugs, drinking, smoking, whatever the case may be. But me growing up in the situation I did made me that much stronger because I'm strong, strong enough to say no. I'm strong enough to recognize and to see where these people are going down the wrong path. I'm strong enough to walk the other way. So I'll say you have an advantage. Use that advantage. Know that you have that. Um, take what you're going through, um, use it as motivation to get to where you want to. Because a lot of people, they have they have the ability to make it to the NFL. They have the ability to be all they can be, but their handicap a lot of times is that they do have it too easy. They don't know how to overcome obstacles. And that's what life is, overcoming obstacles and making the best of what you have. Justin, thank you so much for doing this. One more time for me. Okay. I pro- I am pretty sure it recorded this time. I'm pretty sure it will pop up on oh my boy. laptop. And you know what? I think we actually exceeded the one that we did the last time. Hopefully. I didn't think it would be possible, but but that's that's where it is. We we are just geniuses here as Take far two. as I'm concerned. <laughs> Take 2 is better. Take 2 is way better. Justin, where can people find you to get involved with classes or or just Follow, follow to see what you're up to these days. Um, you can, of course, on Facebook at Justin Taplin Ross or Instagram at Show Enough Taplin Ross. 
So yeah, I post a lot of content on Instagram, which of course feeds into Facebook. So feel free to watch my story; it's very entertaining, especially when I'm down at the bars. But yeah, contact me. Let's get involved. (laughs) All right, Justin, thank you so much for part two. Like I said, I think this one totally kicks part one's ass. So anyway. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Michelle Bodkin signing off with The Lady and the Champs. We will be back soon with another fantastic story.